This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, I am here with Harvey. Hi, Harvey. Welcome. Hey, Annie. How's it going? I'm going really good today. It's a good day. Um, so you wrote in because you do all sorts of really cool stuff, but you also really changed your drinking with this naked mind, which is so cool. So yeah. I'd love you to just tell us your story, like maybe even, uh, you know, your specifically alcohol story, maybe even just start at the beginning and take me through it. Great, for sure. So, um, all right, so I guess we'll just go chronologically. So the interesting thing is that I come from a strict no drinking family. Uh, my, I was raised, well, for a part of my childhood, I was raised in the Mormon religion, which is strictly no drinking. And yet my father's family um, was sort of split down the middle with drinking. So I was exposed to alcohol in a sort of different way in that it was this outside thing that I didn't have access to as a child. I only had my one alcoholic uncle from San Antonio, Texas and his wife. Um, they were, their names were Roger and Winona, but we called them Aunt Winona and Uncle Ra-Ra. And Uncle Ra-Ra was super cool. He would drive in from Texas to California in his sports car and show off. And he was always just a super cool guy and he drank. So I thought, okay, well, that's really rad. And then being uh, pretty close to the Hollywood culture, I always um, sort of idolized, you know, the fact that they made cocktails in episodes of Bewitched and things like that growing up. So I just thought that alcohol uh, use and all that was just this really neat kind of thing that one day when I became an adult, I would start engaging in. So, uh, so there is some hereditary, you know, there's some genetic predisposition to alcohol abuse in my family. You know, it's in my genes for sure. And uh, as I got older, my parents died when I was a child. So that's when the real trauma started in my life. Uh, when I was a young child, I was abruptly taken from my mountain home and I thought it was interesting that you grew up in a cabin because I grew up in the National Forest in California also. And I actually live in a cabin now. Um, and uh, abruptly taken from my childhood home and uh, really had a pretty rough childhood from there on out starting about age seven. So when I became old enough to actually have access to alcohol, it was really, um, for, for some reason or another, it just became a component of uh, what helped me cope and helped me feel, I just couldn't wait to become an adult. Like I felt like I had gotten just an unfair shake in life. I, my, my siblings, I have six siblings, they were all quite a bit older than me. And I, would, and I was fortunate to be raised by my sister, so I didn't have to go to an orphanage or anything, but it was very difficult because they had young children and they were quite a bit older. So I would look at pictures of all of them as children playing together and I always felt kind of left out. And I was always sort of the, the bait and switch youngest child, you know. Um, they would call me into a room, you know, before my parents died and I would run into the room all excited, like I finally get to be a part of my siblings and then they would like trip me on the way in and stuff like that. So my entire life story up until now has been an, a huge bait and switch trick basically. And I am, and I was like the victim, right? So, uh, so growing up was hard and I always felt really resentful about all of that. So as soon as I started, how did, having, your, how did your parents die? My mother died of breast cancer when I was four. And ironically, my father died in a car accident from, uh, he was a victim of a drunk driver actually. So, oh, he so was, they didn't die together, but they were very close. Yeah, pretty close together. Yeah. 
Yeah. So my dad died like I was uh, seven and a half or eight sitting in my living room um, up in the mountains. And my sister and my oldest sister and brother just walked in the door and said, dad's dead and you're coming with us. And that was it. My, my childhood life as I knew it was over. So uh, yeah. And I didn't really hang on to it much, to be honest with you. I was, I'm really a, uh, you know, chin up, don't complain, cope with life kind of guy, kind of a survivor, you know? And uh, so the alcohol just made its way into my life as soon as humanly possible. I started drinking with friends, um, you know, getting people to buy alcohol for us. And it just became a regular part of my life. And the regular drinking probably started right around, uh, well, as soon as I got out of high school, I was so ready to get away from my sisters and get on my own. It's like, I just wanted to be a grown up. So this alcohol relation was really a part of my adult identity. And uh, I went out on my own as soon as I was eight. Like the day I turned 18 and I was legal, I packed up my car and I drove out and went out on my own and uh, pretty much drank every day for my whole life. It was just a part of my social being and uh, didn't really know anything about nutrition back then. I'm a nutritionist now, but I sort of fell into the restaurant business because I was trying to put myself through college. But at that time, the, I was supposed to qualify for social security payments because I was an orphan if I went to school, but the Reagan administration cut that benefit. So I was pretty much out of luck. I had like pretty much no money. I had some savings. So I ended up in the restaurant business and really liked the social atmosphere. And I was a good waiter. And so I was like, no parental direction. I was like, okay, this works for me. And that became my career. And I worked in restaurants for uh, pretty much the better part of my adult life. Um, and I went, I worked my way up through restaurants. I eventually went to the back of, ha back of the house, learned how to chef, and then started my own catering business in Los Angeles, um, right around 1996. And the drinking was just always a part of everyday life. It was right there in my career. It was right there in my home. Um, and I reveled my time with my drinking buddies and friends and the people who didn't drink, I didn't really have a judgment on them, but I, I felt sort of sorry for them, you know, like they were missing out or something. So uh, fast forward to about four or five years ago, about 2012, I would say, my career started to become very um, unsatisfying. And I did well with my, considering that it was a default career for me, I did well in my catering business. I was, I had good clients. Um, I had made a good living, um, but just started feeling really unsatisfied and also just starting to feel sick. In fact, I, for fun, I printed a picture of myself before. <laughs> this was me. Yeah. Wow. This was the unhealthy drinking Harvey <laughs> about six or seven years ago. Crazy oh, wow. transformation, right? Yeah. And this is a testament to how different, what an impact, what a negative impact alcohol has on your body. And I, I hope we'll have a chance to talk about that from a nutrition standpoint at some point. But yeah, so I was just feeling sick and digestion wasn't working. I was getting... Um, liver bad liver news from my tests and uh started just feeling really dissatisfied in general just from a in general spiritual standpoint and started looking for something different so i was looking for a new career i was looking for better health and i had no idea what any of that looked like and i was introduced to a uh a network marketing wellness company and thought the entrepreneur in me was like okay i'm curious so i'm going to check this out and they had a uh, nutrition component. And what happened was the way I was able to embrace that was I, as a chef, I started a Facebook support group and people who bought my nutrition products then received healthy recipes and support from me. 
Well, being that I wasn't really a very healthy chef, <laughs> I had just started my journey of just kind of eating healthier. Um, I really started to start, had to start learning a lot. So I just dove into learning about, and I was still kind of, I was still drinking pretty much regularly at that point, learning about nutrition, learning about all this stuff. And the, um, the group itself like went viral, like there were 1500 people on it within the company and people were starting to call me a health guru. So I started to really evaluate my authenticity in this situation. I thought, you know, if I'm going to represent a health product, I really need to accelerate this health thing. And um, I started, you know, consciously drinking less, consciously drinking less, but not really taking it that seriously. I was improving a lot just from my diet. So, and you know, when you're in the, when you're in the bottom of the pitcher plant, like you, like you point out in your book, you're not really, you're looking for every reason to just justify that you can keep drinking alcohol or abusing alcohol, right? So uh, I, uh, what happened, something happened that where the real landmark kind of thing changed. First of all, in my career, I had this business partnership and um, my business partner also drank a lot and it was just not a great relationship. I mean, we did good work together and, you know, nothing personal against him if he ever watches this, but there was just a lot of feeling of just feeling stuck, right? Like days where I'd sit at my desk at work and we ran a catering company together and staring at my computer, feeling completely brain fogged, just completely powerless, looking over at my partner at his computer. And we both play, used to play this game to see who would stay the longest, who would stay at work the longest that day. And I always worked harder and longer, wow. so I won. But it was a game that we played, right? As soon as the other guy went home, then the other guy would go home. And it's like, well, I would, and I would just say to myself, this is not really exactly why I'm on this planet. I'm not here to um, outdo someone else in mediocrity, right? So there was just a lot of that kind of soul searching going on. And uh, what really happened that changed things was I had this drinking buddy in my neighborhood in Los Angeles, Highland Park, which is a pretty social party kind of neighborhood, kind of a hipster neighborhood. And uh, he, he invited me to do this dry January thing that, they, that a group of friends do every year. So I was like, okay, I've really never thought of drink stopping before, you know? I mean, I've evaluated it over the years. I would ask questions. I'd ask friends like, do you think I drink too much? And all my friends would always say, oh no, you don't have a problem. You don't have a problem. Because as you know, in society, if you, if you go on the popular uh, belief around alcohol use, which is pretty much the AA mentality of, you know, you're a special person if you have a problem and you don't really have a problem until you hit rock bottom, you know, you cover all that stuff in your book. So since I wasn't like, a total loser, you know, living in the streets, my friends thought it was fine. And so everyone reinforced that I was okay. So uh, when my friend invited me to dry January, I was like, wow, okay, I think I can do this. And it was kind of a scary prospect. I was like, well, this is going to be a challenge. Can I really do this? And uh, naturally, just because of the way I, the way I am, you know, I just kind of take things on full on usually. I did really well and I aced it and I outlasted everyone else in the group and I was super proud of myself. And of course that emboldened me to drink more because I was like, well, this is great. I can just stop for a whole month, so I'm fine. So another year goes by and then we tried to do dry January the next year and this time I couldn't stop. I had a hard time stopping. And it just, I woke up one morning, Monday, and it was like that typical thing of like, I'll, try, I'll start next weekend, I'll start next weekend. And one Monday morning, I woke up and um, I just tried to start working. I, used, I worked at home at that time. And uh, I was just like, um, this is a serious problem. So I just dragged myself to an AA meeting. And I have to give kudos to AA because 
Um, I don't know that I would have gotten started on a new journey if I hadn't had that resource. And I, and I have a lot of friends who would be probably dead if they didn't have their daily AA meeting. Um, it didn't work for me ultimately. And um, that's when I discovered your book. So I would trudge through the AA process for a while. And I have a local friend um, who I, I was a little overwhelmed and trying to figure out where to find a meeting and stuff. And I'm a really resourceful person. I mean, I have two blogs. I make videos of food. I mean, it's, it's, so why could I not find an AA meeting? I have no idea. But I was that overwhelmed, right? And I called my friend who I thought was an AA, but you never know because they never talk about it. And um, she was awesome. She helped me. She brought me to a meeting. So she was like my AA friend for a while, and she was super helpful. Um, and then uh, I got to a point where I was doing the whole, that AA dance of relapsing and feeling um, all the self-loathing and feeling like counting the hours and the days and the whole prayer concept was really hard for me. And I have, I have a nutritionist scientific theory about the, about the praying, you know, and, and how it scientifically what it really is for people and how it actually works. Interesting. Um, yeah. But, uh, I was just sitting in on my computer one day and I, and I've hardly used of all the social media platforms. I think LinkedIn is the one that I use the least. And I happened to be on LinkedIn and I, and you just popped up out of nowhere <laughs> and <laughs> it was amazing. And you were talking about your book and I looked at the book and I was like, hmm, this looks really interesting. And there was something inside of me that was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be, and that's also just a question of time efficiency. Like there's got to be a something that there's got to be a more efficient way to address this, right? And I wasn't trained enough as a nutritionist at the time. So I didn't have enough clinical experience or knowledge to put things together in that way, right? And uh, I thought about getting your book and then I talked to my sponsor at AA and, and then I had that whole AA um, thought process of, oh no, this is just my alcoholic telling me that I can do it some other way and I need to just buckle down and go to meetings and pray and do all that. And I asked my sponsor and of course he gave me that, that sort of canned answer. And um, so I put it out of my head and then a couple weeks later, another relapse. And I said, you know, I said, screw it. And I was like, oh, now damn, who is that person? So I went back and I just spent about 30 minutes trying to find you. And I finally found you on LinkedIn again, but this time you were giving away free downloads of your book. Yay. I'm sorry to say I've never invested a penny in your system, but maybe Perfect. that's your favorite charity <laughs> or something. Yeah, it wasn't on purpose. Um, so I downloaded your book and I, I devoured it, I think, in like two and a half days. And Annie, it's, it completely changed my life. I mean, it's incredible. But mm. what you put together and how you were able to piece together all that stuff, it's just, I was blown away. And it just, the book just spoke to me on so many levels and it made so much sense. And I have been um, pretty much definitely healed my relationship with alcohol. That's how I like to say it. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, it just, op and then it just opened up a whole new world. I mean, I just, this inner athlete in me came out, this inner nerd came out. I've been studying, expanding my credentials, expanding my practice and um, just a whole different world is out there. And now, I use the principles that I learned from you and I actually use that in my nutrition practice because the same can apply to food and a lot of other things. We're hardwired to carry out a lot of really unhealthy behaviors, right? From totally. And I think that uh, you talk about the hardwiring of the unconscious wiring around how we're programmed 
to love alcohol. We also have hard wiring around our own self, sort of um, self-sabotaging behaviors from childhood. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely using alcohol to keep myself in desperate, hopeless orphan mode, you know? Mm. Yeah, just it was just a subconscious behavior. I just beating myself down, sort of like there was nothing in my conscious learning that gave me a window that life could be any better, even though I did great. And I, you know, I was never like a bad drunk. My friends always loved being around me. Maybe they would tell, say something different now, but now looking back, I was like, holy crap, I was a total asshole sometimes, <laughs> you know? And um, just, so anyway, yeah, so that's what I do now. And um, because I am, uh, I'm a lot like you in that I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be shown, you know, an absolute anecdote. In fact, in my practice, I tell my clients to throw out, every, throw out, forget every book they've read about diet, forget everything their friends are doing. And I teach them how to be a meatarian. I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to just know your food yourself, right? So that really appeals to me. And so when it came to moderation, I pretty much was off alcohol for, for in general. But you make reference in your book somewhere, and forgive me, I don't, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but you write something to the extent of either that we're going to return to a state where it's as if we never had exposure to alcohol before. And that's actually what happened to me. You know, in, in AA, they have the normal people or they call them normies. Yeah. I'm like a normie again. I can actually drink if I want to, and it doesn't really do anything tragic to me. And I, uh, I feel like life is a clinical study and I'm the guinea pig. So if I'm going to really get an answer, I have to try it myself. So I tried the moderation thing. I've tried like, well, I'll have a glass of wine with a friend because it's easier than talking about it. It's no big deal. But at the bottom, at the end of the day with my nutritional training now, um, and also just looking at like, what are we in, what are we, what are we here for? Why did we have this experience and what kind of, how, how, how powerful can we be in the world with what we have to offer from experience? And our experience comes at a very, very high price, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think you should take that for granted or take it lightly. Um, so I just finally got to the point where it's like, yes, I can moderate and yay for me, but what is that really doing? I mean, how is that, what's the point? Yeah. Especially knowing how bad it is for you. <laughs> You know, and I lecture my clients all the time in their office, in my office about like, well, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, the alcohol is a negative nutrient. It's really working against you and on so many levels. And, um, and you have to look at it as your nutrition plan. If you're ingesting it and your body's digesting it, it's part of your nutrition plan. So when you're looking at your goals, how does two glasses of Chardonnay a night really play into your goal? Especially, um, you had a guest, I wrote her name down, Kim, who was talking about menopause. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I see my clients who are entering menopause or in their own, they're in the middle of the menopause, I call it the menopause nightmare, where their body's just all out of whack, they can't lose weight, um, and then they're still drinking wine. I'm just like, you know, it's hard not to reach out and strangle people sometimes, but, you know, people have to, and especially in my practice, it's very client-focused. You listen, you make recommendations you make recommendations that are evidence-based and then, you know, the client makes their own choices. Right. So I think, I don't think I left anything out. That's pretty much, pretty much my story. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's so awesome. Well, I have so many things to say about that. First of all, I, I just so appreciate like you should sharing that, that concept of you've healed your relationship with alcohol. I think that's such a cool way mm -hmm. to, to say it. And then you're like, I've healed it, but then I've decided that actually, even though it's healed, I don't want it. And I, um, I was listening to, Gosh, I don't remember who it was, but it was 
um, someone was talking about, it was a podcast that I was listening to and somebody was talking about like, she gets asked or he gets asked anyway, what people say, well, should I quit my job? Right. And she says something along the lines. Oh, okay. I think it was Brooke Castillo. And she says something along the lines of, I want you to heal your thinking. So you're really happy in your job right. and then decide if you should quit. Right. right. Because actually if you heal your thinking around it, to where your job isn't this external circumstance that quitting a job and getting a new job and going to that future gate and future pacing mm -hmm. is going to be the thing that actually distracts you from healing your thoughts, mm -hmm. then you're not going to actually end up, you know, this job, that job, this spouse, that spouse, you know, right. this state, that well, state. I, right. I believe that, yeah, I believe that healing, there's a core component that's often missing in the healing process for people. And now we're going to reference it to alcohol, right? So for me, the last day, the, the end of my AA tenure, um, there was a cognitive thing that just wasn't working for me. And it, it's like I needed, I'm very pragmatic. So I can be spiritual and I can do that too, but I'm very, I work well in pragmatic mode. And I needed a better explanation. I needed a scientific method. And um, I really questioned whether I should trust this book or not to be my answer. And I actually called my older brother, who's one of my like, you know, mentors. And he, I asked him, I said, what do you think I should do? And um, he's like, you know what, if you want to try this and it works for you, then you should do it. And it was the, it was the healing. It was the thought connection. It was the making sense. It was the showing me studies, showing me statistics that actually worked for me. And when a client comes in for their diet changes, this is what we do. We say, look, you you need to believe and understand on a, on a core level that this is going to work for you. You need, you need to understand what the negative impacts are of your actions. And you, you need to feel the rewards when you make a positive change. You need to live and feel those rewards so you can see the difference because that's what's actually going to create the core change, right? Yep, for sure. That's so true. And I love that, that perspective, like just again, likening it to that job. Like, okay, if, if you actually heal that and then you make a decision, Right. So you healed your relationship with alcohol and then you went through, okay, moderation, try that. Okay. This, and then just make like, well, actually it doesn't fit my nutrition plan. So that's yeah. interesting. And then from that perspective of complete peace about it, you can teach, right? So it's yeah. just such a cool, cool yeah. thing because you're not, um, yeah, I love that. That's, that's beautiful. That's such a cool story. So you said something that I really want to, I really want to pick your brain now on all the nutrition stuff. Cause it's clear okay. you have lots of expertise, but you said something that just like, whew, Okay, alcohol is a net negative nutrient. You have to explain this to me. Okay, so negative nutrient is kind of a theory, but it can be backed up, right, by very different, depending on which, which food you're talking about. So there are foods out there that are considered negative nutrients, meaning food is either life-giving or it's life-taking. That's just the bottom line. So a negative nutrient is something that is actually depleting your body of nutrients, requiring your body to reprioritize from thriving in order to process, right? So refined sugar would be another one, okay? So it, what happens with alcohol on so many levels, I mean, and I made a list because I wasn't sure if you were going to ask me, but of all the health problems from alcohol, and I actually wrote a blog article about healthy alcohol I mean, that you inspired, of course, you know, the healthy alcohol articles that people share on Facebook. Oh, you you're going to have to send that to me. I'll include it in the show notes. Um, yeah, that sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. So um, just all of the things that alcohol, let's talk about ways that it, that it lives up to its um, label as a negative nutrient, okay? 
uh, breaks down your gastrointestinal integrity, so it, it can help contribute to leaky gut and poor absorption. Um, liver disease in that what happens with, when your liver receives alcohol, it has to prioritize the alcohol, so it allows fat to build up, and then you get fatty liver. And that can lead to insulin resistance, which is the core cause of type 2 diabetes. Um, you know, nervous system disorders, uh, screws up your carbohydrate metabolism, it impairs your absorption of vitamins and minerals in general. So if you are having wine with somebody, you know, if you're sitting with someone who's a health freak and they're drinking wine, they're really just making it, they're, they're, they're really just, they're acting against their, their actual mission. If, they're, if their mission is to be healthier, they're, it's like deliberately putting a roadblock up. It's like saying, I want to drive from here to Salt Lake City and throwing boulders in front of you in the road <laughs> every time you drink a glass of wine, basically, right? Wow. Um, yeah. Um, what else did I write down? It suppresses your immune system. So you're not able to fight off diseases as easily and stuff like that. Um, interesting one for men, um, the existence of more liver enzymes. So your body will make more liver enzymes to break down the alcohol. And when that happens, it has an adverse effect on your testosterone production. So men who want to um, continue to build lean muscle mass, burn fat, and have an awesome sex drive and be men, they, sh they should think about their drinking for sure. Um, and there's a whole hormone thing we could talk about with depression. I, in my last experiment with moderation, I realized that alcohol was making me depressed. Hmm. It's because of what it does to your hormones. So um, there are ways you can reinforce your hormones, but the best thing is just to stop drinking. That would be your first step. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, that's that's so fascinating. For nutrition. Um, I had a follow-up to that. Like, because you said that all food or all things that you ingest are either, either giving you life or taking life away. And very clearly for all of those reasons you just listed, alcohol is very much taking life away. Um, and I think that's such an interesting, I've never heard it said that quite that way before, but is that, is that really like you think pretty much universally true? Like pretty much everything you eat is either on one side of that or the other? No, because alcohol is not really a food, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a drug. Um, I mean, like you call it ethanol, which it kind of, it is really, I mean, I have a hard time saying that because it's so harsh, but it's really the truth. The chemical um, compound is exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so all foods can be, so when you get into processed foods, then you're moving into that zone where, yes, there are foods that can be pretty much life-taking. Like, you know, refined sugar isn't really doing you any favors, um, you know highly processed foods, uh, you know, processed white flour is going to give you a little bit of protein, a little bit of something. It's going to give you some carbs, some energy, but it's going to also, uh, it's all, it also has a lot of negative impacts. And now there's all this emerging information about the glyphosate they use to raise the wheat and how that's in everything and that kind of stuff. So those toxins that come with that food, and then there's toxins that they're finding glyphosate in wine too now. Mm. So that's even more of a reason, right? To be really mm. careful with your wine. Um, so anytime you ingest those chemicals and those toxins, your body has to use resources to detoxify and process that. And whenever your body's not using resources to, to serve your core functionality, then you are moving in a negative direction on the health, what I call the health continuum, basically. Mm -hmm. So you want to move your body in the forward on a health continuum at all times, right? And that was my mantra finally, when I finally came to terms with the moderation thing. I said, I only put things in my body that are life-giving. That's it. 
doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with whether it's alcohol or not. It could be anything, you know? And so what are some examples, uh, some non-alcohol examples? Of life-giving foods or? Or both. Let's have some on both sides. Of, of beverages? Um, either food, beverage. Okay. Just give us some framework for life-giving or. Okay. Well, if you are, if you're in the stage of your, um, your alcohol journey, your sobriety journey, whatever you want to call it, where you are feeling um, behaviorally attached to that um, drinking ritual, that adult beverage, kombucha is a really great way to go. Now, some people will say that the alcohol content in kombucha is still dangerous for some people. And it really depends on your genetics and your individuality. You know, it's not everybody. Not everybody is like that. Um, some people chemically can't drink five, you know, non-alcoholic beer. It actually affects them in a negative way. Other people can, but it, I think kombucha is great. The problem with modern kombucha is that now it's very popular and there's a lot of different flavors with sugar. And unfortunately, from a nutrition standpoint, the, the versions that are legally non-alcoholic are also not as beneficial for you, right? It's actually that tiny bit of fermentation that actually gives you the benefits for your digestion. Um, so I think kombucha is really good. Um, on a negative side, you know, I wouldn't replace alcohol with like any soda pop or sugar beverages. In fact, let's talk about that. Um, you know, one of the things that, I, one of the most graphic picture things that are stuck in my head from AA meetings is the, the table with all of the junk food on it, you know, in the meeting, the sugar. And being told that it's, that, you know, eat jelly beans or it's better to eat sugar. Now, I believe for some people, that's probably gonna keep them alive right? If they eat the jelly beans instead of drinking. But um, eating the sugar and the junk food, first of all, it just keeps you in a, it keeps you in that um, unhealthy behavior state longer. So it's like you're hanging on to a, to a knee-jerk reaction. You're hanging on to the weakness and the disempowered feeling for a longer period of time. And my feeling is, and now I'm on the other end and we're always still learning and growing, but I'm way on the other end of this. So it's easy for me to say this now, but get empowered as soon as possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get yourself as free and empowered as possible. Free yourself from all that stuff if you can, right? So I've had clients who are in alcohol um, program, uh, in program or in AA, and they've tried to get off sugar. And I tell them, if you can get off sugar, it is going to change your addiction to alcohol too. Because it's alcohol and sugar are not just psychological addictions. There's a whole blood sugar endocrine system thing that's going on that messes with us, your hunger hormones and stuff. So when you're on a sugar yo-yo hunger, uh, I call it counterfeit hunger. When you're on mm. a sugar counterfeit hunger cycle, your alcohol cravings are going to be more prominent. And it's confusing because you don't have the knowledge or training to discern. So you're just sitting there hanging on your seat going, holy crap, I can't get through this. You know what I mean? So I would say all processed foods, try to, try to stay away from those. If, you are, if you're in the early stages of alcohol recovery or sobriety, um, think of your food as the alcohol lifestyle was like oxidative stress accelerating aging. Um, the recovery is slowing down aging, fighting oxidative stress. So you want your meals to be like uh, anti-aging therapy. That's how you want to look at your food, anti-aging detoxing therapy instead of taking a prescription to recover from alcohol you're going to look at your food as recovery so um high antioxidant foods you know colorful vegetables fruits berries uh, turmeric ginger um you know uh, 
lots of fruits and vegetables, some whole grains, you know, putting nutrition yeast in things, and then really checking in with the food cravings. And when you get to the point where it's like, well, I'm going to eat a donut or I'm going to have a glass of wine, just stop, like drink a glass of water and see if you can stop for two minutes and really have a conversation with yourself. Like, are either of these really going to, really going to help me? And getting yourself, pull yourself out of that place of like, I have to make this decision. You don't actually have to make that decision because I have news for you. There are like 20,000 other foods out there that you could be eating. Um, and it's a question of just having yourself supplied with that stuff. And yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Like, so things that I'll do is I'll just have like a, you know, cause you like to snack, you like to have something. So I'll have like a bowl of blueberries or something, or, you know, it's cherry season, which is amazing. They're some of my yeah. favorites. So have cherries, cherries around. Cherries are so good for you. Yeah. I love the cherries. Yeah. So good. Um, I wish it was always cherry season. You can get always frozen cherries, but it's not right. quite the same. But anyway, I think that's really true. It's really about access and planning and something that I've been talking and thinking about a lot lately is just this idea that, you know, um, and it's interesting because I've been thinking about this in terms of my own calendar. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then now I've started to see how actually this was so true in my drinking journey as well, but I just didn't put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. I've been really resistant to calendaring my time aside from obviously meetings and stuff like that, but actually calendaring to-do lists in my day because I'm like, no, I just want to be able to do what, what strikes me and what my mood is and what, it, what if I don't feel like sitting down to write? What if I actually really want to you know, work on something else or whatever the case is? And so I've been really resistant to it, but people are like, okay, just try it, just try it. And what I'm finding is that when I plan with the part of my brain, that's like the part of my brain that wants the best for me, mm -hmm. instead of the impulse part of my brain, because if I'm with, if I sit down and I have a big block of time and I'm like, I'm going to get something done. The impulse part of my brain is going to not want to go to the most important thing, not going to want to go to anything, but the thing that is like the easiest to do. Right. Which actually can be like junk food for my time. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, yeah. but when you plan in advance, mm -hmm. then I'm actually finding so much freedom on the other side of planning. Because then when I'm done, I can walk away from my desk and be like, wow, I actually got everything done. Instead of not getting everything done, having it make noise for me overnight or over the weekend or whenever it's going to make noise right. for me. And right. then I started looking at my um, alcohol journey and it was the same thing. I bucked against giving up drinking for so long because I just wanted to be the person who could be whimsical and have a drink and all this stuff. Like it was just kind of like part of my identity. It's who I wanted to be. I wanted to have that like free loving, fun loving side. Right. But actually through the self-discipline to only put things in my body that are really healthy for me with few exceptions, I am so much more fun loving because I feel so much better. So actually freedom does come on the other side of self-discipline, which is not something I think that you can learn with your mind cognitively until you experience, at least that's been my, my journey. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's really where, what it came to for me with the moderation thing was, I am going to help a lot more people in a more powerful way if I just don't drink at all, right? I'm gonna be standing, I'm gonna be, representing a different version of a different person that is inspiring and that's more inspiring people don't need another person to conform with something that's destroying our society right? right they need people to take a stand so i just finally decided you know what i should take a stand this is really irresponsible for me not to and from the planning perspective it's interesting because people say oh can i get a meal plan right i'm like well i don't give meal plans i teach you how to meal plan and 
the beginning of the meal planning process is learning how to schedule block the time to plan your nutrition, to prioritize your nutrition, and also learning that learning how to anticipate obstacles, that the, the excuses that always come up that keep you from eating that healthy meal, right? But if you plan ahead for the obstacles and you put the schedule block in and then start with your priorities. So which parts in your week do you need the most help getting the healthy meal? And you can even call it, let's, see, let's apply this to sobriety. Which parts of the week does the urge come up or the trigger come up to drink alcohol and make a plan for it ahead of time? right? Yeah. And then you put that plan in place and then you've got it prepared. So you keep the foods that support you within arm's reach at all times, right? Absolutely. And, and it's funny, the urge to, uh, the urge to just go with the flow and all that, I could totally relate to that because I'm exactly the same way. But that's funny because our unconscious urges, I, I believe just from my studies and experience, that's really just our um, fight or flight nervous system response that's really only designed to keep us alive when we need to so if we're running on that all the time we're just like you know what i mean it's just sort yeah, of i mean i really like how it's um again i think i've been listening to a lot of brooke castillo's podcast lately because this is again from her but she says what does she call it the triad and she's like your brain does three things conserve energy uh avoid pain and find pleasure and so if you allow your life to be run on those three things, which are important for survival, but now we are out of survival mode. We right. are on the higher, you know, on the Maslow's hierarchy of need. We're on the self-actualization. All the needs have been met for most people in our culture. And so we are actually at this place of, and if we're, but if we're running on the primitive brain, which wants to do those three things, like we're in trouble from the beginning. So we right. have to actually, and she argues, and I think this is a really interesting thing to think about. She argues like, instead of conserving energy, you want to do things to generate energy. You know, right. Instead of avoiding pain, you want to do things to lean into discomfort because therein lies the growth. You want to do things to get out of your comfort zone, right? And instead of um, seeking pleasure, you actually want to hone your skill to delay gratification because again, the freedom comes on the other side of that type of self-discipline, which I think is really cool. Right. Well, one of the most powerful things you wrote in your book that just I just absolutely loved and ate up was the, re the realization that I didn't know when I was at the height of abusing alcohol, I didn't know how to feel like a normal person anymore. I didn't know how to feel childhood joy anymore yeah. and when i stopped drinking and that joy that feeling started coming back it was the best thing ever and then like let's not even talk about how much better sex is okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's like the secret right <laughs> not anymore <laughs> now it's out now <laughs> yeah it's out unfortunately that still won't be motivation enough for a lot of people but maybe no but it's, it's so true it's so true yeah yeah and just that whole and that's the whole thing about just you know um I believe the true pleasure comes from the, you know, pushing sort of those healthy limits of your, of your physiology and your biochemistry. And then you get to that point where it's sort of, it's sort of like um, you're getting the same kind of high, you're getting the same chemical release in your brain that you're getting from the drugs, except you're getting it through natural process.
Right. And that's how our brains were designed, right? Because yeah. all the drugs do, all any drugs do, whether it's high fructose corn syrup to, right. you know, um, processed flour to alcohol to cocaine, all right. they do is numb our bodies and brains ability to feel pleasure. I mean, that really is the end result. That's, that's right. neurologically it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if you're a caveman running from a dinosaur and you win the race, then that's a super awesome feeling afterwards. That's absolutely absolutely we do works. <laughs> my husband and i do taekwondo and um i just tested for my purple belt and you had to do a combo break so i had to break two boards in different like a i did a spinning back kick and then a front kick and like breaking those boards like yes that is a such a high so much more fun than you would think i mean you think yeah that would be pretty fun no 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 that's really really fun and i don't think probably if i was drinking I would have that same level of, oh my gosh, this is so much fun um, about that or, or so many things in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So interesting. Great. That's so cool. Well, Harvey, um, two questions for you to, to wrap us up. But first of all, it sounds like you just have so much knowledge and such a passion for people. So where can people find your blogs? Where can people get to know more about you? Right. So my main website is harveyslater.com. And that tells you about my practice. And there are links to my nutrition blog and my recipe blog. Because I'm a chef, I have an extensive library of healthy recipes. So that's a good place to start. And um, anyone who's a fellow um, Annie Grace fan, please feel free to reach out to me and say, hey, it's awesome. I have to admit, I haven't been, the, I haven't been um, a, uh, a big follower of yours, um, but that is actually testament to the efficacy of your book. I mean, I just didn't. It's one didn't, and done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I know, I mean, I've been amazed over the uh, last couple of years of watching your, your um, project grow and watching your following grow. And it's just, I'm, I'm just, I'm in awe of you. I'm blown away. Oh, I mean, if I, can, if I can impact that many people with my, with my work, I will be one happy guy. That's so awesome. Yeah. So cool. So tell, uh, I always end with this question, but you know, if you were going to go back, especially you have the perfect, the before picture, let's see the before picture again, if you have it handy, uh, you're going to tell this guy, you're going to go back and you're going to put your arm around him and you're going to tell him what is life like now? What do you not have to worry about? What, what should you be thinking about? What would you say to him? Oh, well, I would say just don't, if something doesn't seem quite right to you, you're right. Trust your own instincts. Mm. And know that there are other, there are, there is, there are alternatives out there. There are other answers for you. And don't ever feel like you have to accept something that doesn't feel right in your gut. And that goes for the alcohol relationship itself. And that also goes for treatment programs. You know, if something doesn't feel right to you, it's okay to question, question everything and um, do what's right and be honest with yourself. And if you're honest with yourself and you question everything, give yourself permission you know, to be entitled to the right pathway for yourself. So good. Um, I have such a, a big fundamental foundational belief in the power of questions. It is, you just said something that really speaks to kind of the core of who I believe myself to be. And I think for myself, I, if anything, whether it's from religion to treatment to, you know, your friends are telling you, oh, just don't question it. Or we're, you know, questions are unwelcome in terms of questions bring fear. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, meeting people who would be really caught up in different um, religions or something and, and questions would bring fear and questions should never bring fear. Like, you know, in my world, <laughs> 
God is going to be big enough for all the questions, right? Like, of course, he's not going to be afraid of the questions. Um, so I think that that's such true and good advice, not just for this, but just for, for everything at all. You know, if you are following your inner compass, we were created curious. It is yeah. one of the, we would not be sitting here talking virtually from, I think, California to Colorado uh, and then broadcasting it to literally millions of people um, who have downloaded, like the podcast just crossed two and a half million downloads. Absolutely. So like we wouldn't be doing that if people, human beings weren't curious, okay? Right. So that is so foundational and important to um, our ability to question everything. And I think one of the things that society has has really gotten wrong, not any individual, but just as a whole, especially just with the whole term alcoholic, is that we've made it wrong to question our alcohol intake and we made it wrong to question our drinking and we made it something that's bad and it isn't just like questioning food or sugar. It is something that's, oh no, wait, do you have a problem? Are you an alcoholic? What's happening? What's wrong? And it's I think- It's a very, very compelling situation out there. It's very strange and congratulations for calling it out. You know, and this is my first time actually speaking really publicly about this. So thank you for the opportunity. No, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. I, I'm fascinated with your story. You might know that I'm working on a book of um, naked life stories where I'm just compiling people who give permission to use their stories into just a book of readers' stories. So I'd love to use yours. Sure, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Never can help. Move the, move the purpose further, right? Move us along. Oh, good. But right. it, there's so many elements of just really finding true healing and peace in yourself and allowing all the questions. Freedom is on the other side of all the questions, not doing what you think you're supposed to do just for the sake of doing it, but yeah. allowing yourself to be your guinea pig in your own life and like taking back your own power to that degree. It's really beautiful. So yeah. yay. Well, thank you so much, Harvey. Thank you so much. This has been really um, an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. See you later. Bye. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. This free 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You remember it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, the version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or to have a good time and is having more fun than ever. And again, this is a totally free challenge that will change everything for you. So learn more and join me 100% free at thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.